Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. I think I told uh, those who prepared the service that I would be preaching from 2 Kings 21. I changed the text, but it will be the same message. I will be speaking from 2 Chronicles 33. So I apologize for the uh, change, but um, this is the message that the Lord put on my heart for this morning. So if you have uh, Bibles or Bible apps, please open it at uh, 2 Chronicles 33. There are dark times for the people of God when grace is unexpected. There are times when things seem to go from bad to worse. When it seems that darkness is stronger than light. When all the bad predictions come true and none of the good predictions are realized. When wicked people who are hostile to God's people have the upper hand. And even the people of God is tempted to choose what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. But the Bible testifies that grace is never too far. I would like to show you an example of how unexpected grace can surprise us. So I will talk about one of the most wicked men of the entire Bible, King Manasseh. And let me give you a short historical introduction to him. And we will get to the text and read portion by portion and I will make comments on them. The, the world empire at this time of, of this king that we will read about is uh, Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and it was a little bit like the USA in the last several decades but Assyria was a very evil and ruthless empire. And Judah, whose king Manasseh was at this time, is the southern kingdom that used to be David's kingdom, so it's part of David's kingdom. And it is a a clash zone between two superpowers, like Korea was in the 1950s or Germany used to be, or what the Ukraine is right now. And Israel, the northern kingdom, did not exist by this time. Manasseh was the king of Judah between uh, 697 to 642 BC. And he was king for 55 years. That is the longest rule uh, rule in the history of both Israel and Judah. And the first 11 years were joint rules 
uh, rule with Hezekiah, his father. So this is the, the historical background. And now let's read uh, verses 1 to 9 from Second Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the Baals, and made Asheroth, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven, and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol that he had made, he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house, and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will no more remove, remove the food of Israel from the land that I appointed for your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray, to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. This is a shocking story. Manasseh, and this is even more shocking, or it gives it, uh, puts the story into a, a, an even more shocking light, is that Manasseh's father was the God-fearing Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was one of the godliest kings of the history of Judah. Hezekiah leaned on the Lord even when the Assyrians took Jerusalem under siege. Hezekiah sought the counsel of the prophet Isaiah, who was kind of a friend to the king Hezekiah. And then he has a son like that. How could that happen? How could Manasseh turn out to be so wicked? How is such a 180 degree turn possible? I don't know the answer. I can only try to speculate on what the reasons could be. Uh, maybe he listened to bad counselors after the death of Hezekiah. It could happen because we knew that this is exactly what happened to Joash, a king uh, earlier, who listened to the Lord while the high priest Jehoiada lived, but when he died, the high priest died, 
Joash listened to bad counselors who turned his heart away from the Lord. So it, it's possible that that's what happened to Manasseh. Or perhaps Hephzibah, her mother, was an idolater. We know very little of mothers in the story of the kings, but uh, let's not be fooled. Mothers have a strong influence on their children. So it's also a possibility that Hephzibah uh, had a bad influence on her. Or maybe, maybe his heart was simply rebellious and evil. Grace is not to be taken for granted, not even in God-fearing families. God does not have grandchildren. But there is also another possibility, and this is difficult for me to ponder, but I, I should mention that. What if Hezekiah himself had some responsibility in Manasseh's unbelief? He wasn't irreproachable, at least not as much as he seems to be when we read his story. It seems that Hezekiah was not at his best when Manasseh needed him the most, as a father and as an example. Let me show you what I'm thinking about. In 2 Kings 20, verses 12 to 19, Hezekiah... Uh, is puffed up. And when the Babylonian envoys came to him, he shows them his treasures. And the Lord rebukes him. In those days, we read in uh, the previous chapter in Second Chronicles uh, 32, 24, 25. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make him did not make return according to the profit uh, to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. So we know that there was pride in Hezekiah's life, at least at a certain stage of his life, and this is exactly when Manasseh was in his adolescence. And Hezekiah sort of humbled himself. Um, but his answer to Isaiah is, is rather sad to me. Because this is what he says. The Lord's word which you announced to me is good. Because he thought, then there will be peace and safety in my time. So Hezekiah wasn't very interested in his posterity. He was happy that the word of the Lord was good for his time. So can there be some fruit of neg negligence in Manasseh's life? Maybe. Maybe. Some of the worst enemies of the faith came from believing families. Most of the German liberal theologians came from pietistic background. But let's also remember that not everything depends on the parents. 
everyone is responsible for his or her own life, for his or her, her own sins. What do we know about Manasseh? There is a long list of his evil deeds. First, he rebuilt the high places. This is mentioned because um, if you read the, the lives of kings, you often read that, and, the, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he left the high places, and Israel was still worshiping at the high places. And uh, it was uh, tolerated by the Lord, but it was against his clear command. They were supposed to sacrifice only in Jerusalem, but it was still for Yahweh. And it was Hezekiah who finally destroyed those high places and said, no, the only place, place we can offer sacrifices is Jerusalem. So Manasseh rebuilds those high places. Then he erects altars for Baal. This is the God uh, above whom Elijah had that major victory and proved that Baal was impotent as a god. Yahweh was the real one, the only god. And worshiping the Baals ultimately led to the exile of Israel and yet at the northern kingdom. And yet Manasseh erected an altar for Baal. And he also prepared a pole for Asherah. There was another pole that Hezekiah also destroyed. That was the pole of the snake that was um, lifted up in the desert by Moses and was the symbol of the crucified Lord, or Christ, later. But it was turned into an idol, so Hezekiah destroyed that pole. But we also read that Manasseh, uh, sorry, and Manasseh built, prepared a, a, another pole, but it wasn't for Yahweh, it was for Asherah. I uh, heard a lecture once of a, an archaeological finding uh, in which uh, the, uh, the two gods were Yahweh and Asherah, wife and husband, and it was presented as an evidence that Israel was uh, polytheistic and uh, the worship of the one God came later. But no, the text, the Bible clearly says that Israel was idolatrous and they also worshipped at this time the Asherahs. Manasseh, what we read on the list, bowed down before the sun, the moon, and the stars. Despite Deuteronomy 4.19, which clearly said, and beware, lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. But Manasseh bowed down and served them. But he did much worse than that. Manasseh desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. He built altars in it and brought the idols into the temple. 
the holiest of places. Where before that, Uzziah, when he went in, just went in to offer incense to the Lord, he became leprous. Now, Manasseh didn't just go into the temple. He brought his idols into the temple and erected altars for those idols in the temple. And we read that he even burnt his son alive for Moloch. According to this text, he burned more than one son like that. They put the children in the fiery arms of the statue and people could smell the burning skin and hear the horrific shouts as the children died. It was a very, very bad thing. Now, they didn't chop off the hands of the children and their legs and didn't crush their skulls like our cultures do today. But they burned them alive. Wicked, wicked, wicked things. And this happened in the Valley of Hinnom. It was south from Jerusalem. And Jesus used this valley as a metaphor of eternal destruction. Gehinnom. We also read that Manasseh practiced witchcraft, spiritism, necromancy, and used fortune-telling and dealt with mediums. This was again clearly against the command of the Lord, who said, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out and, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. We also read that he shed very much innocent blood. And one of these was the killing of Isaiah. Isaiah, as I mentioned, was the friend of his father, Hezekiah. Manasseh sought Isaiah to death. Uh, we know this from Jewish tradition that Isaiah hid in the mew of a big tree. But someone betrayed him and told the king where he was hiding. So Manasseh simply ordered that the tree would be sown into half together with Isaiah. That's what Hebrews 11 is referring to. Manasseh led the entire Judah into sin. And this is probably the worst of all things that he, done, he had done. Leader's sin always has an effect on others. What your presidents believe has an effect on the nation. What your cultural leaders believe has an influence on the nation. Manasseh ruled for 55 years. I imagine such a long time, 55 years. This time is enough to fundamentally change the values of a society. Can I tell you some things that happened in your country uh, 55 years ago? It was 1967. In 1967, Ronald Reagan was sworn as the governor of sworn in as the governor of California. The Mantra Rock Dance, the ultimate high of the hippie era, took place in San Francisco and featured Allen Ginsberg, the poet of the Beat Generation, who, who wrote the poem Howl, a very disturbing poem. The first issue of Rolling Stone magazine was published. 
In that year, there were huge demonstrations against, against the Vietnam War in New York and San Francisco. But the next year was the really crucial one. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. President Lyndon Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act. Student protesters at Columbia University took over administration buildings and shut down the university. This might be the most significant one of all. The musical Hair came out. Elvis Presley's comeback special. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. Then the next year, the Woodstock Festival. Five years later, prayer was banned from schools and abortion was legalized. 42 years later, gay marriage was legalized. 50 years later, I read the title in the news, Air Force Academy promotes fellowship that bans cisgender men. This program isn't for you. So, I think we can, as we can see clearly that 55 years is enough to fundamentally change the values of a society. And this is what happened to Europe too. And this is what happened to Judah. Because of the sins of Manasseh and Judah, exile was inevitable. And even though the greatest reform of the history of Judah started under the rule of Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, judgment was decided. But this is not the end of the story. I didn't come here to tell you a horrific story. I came here to speak about the grace of God. But I wanted to choose one person from the Bible who I would surely think would go to hell. And that is Manasseh. If there was one person in the Bible who I would surely say would go to hell, it would be Manasseh. He lived his entire life rebelling against Yahweh, against our Lord. His deeds were more wicked than any of his predecessors. He sinned longer than any of them. And he led the entire nation into spiritual rebellion. But we read about stunning things in verses 10 to 12. So let's look at the scriptures again. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Afterward, he built an outer wall for the city of David, west of Gihon, in the valley, and for the entrance into the fish gate, and carried it around Ophel, and raised it to a very great height, 
He also put commanders of the army in the fortified cities in Judah. And he took away the foreign gods and the idols from the house of the Lord and all the altars that he had built on the mountains of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the, the altar of the Lord and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God, and the words of the seer who spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty and all his sin and his faithlessness and the sites on which he built high places and set up the ashram and the images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his house and Amon, his son, reigned in his place. So the Assyrians took Manasseh into captivity. And this most likely happened this, uh, when, you, when historians talk about this age uh, under uh, a certain ruler who was called Samasum Ukin who rose up against Ashur Banipal and they uh, thought perhaps that Manasseh joined the uprising. Maybe he even did. But later they found him innocent or let him go for the promise of renewed loyalty. And Assyrian captivity was a merciless thing. The Assyrians were savage people. And the scriptures say that they put, hook, uh, put a hook in Manasseh's nostril. That's what, that was an Assyrian practice. And when they did that, Manasseh called upon the name of the Lord in his desperation, in his humiliation. He called upon the name of the Lord he repented and turned back to the Lord. Now, this is an absolutely unexpected turn of event in his life. In, uh, in the kings that we read before, in the lives of the kings, there is often a turning point in the life of Joash, in the life of Amaziah, in the life of Uzziah. They did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and then something happened, and they turned away from the Lord. And that's it. So when we, read the, the, when we read Second Chronicles or Second Kings, we get used to this, that there is a good king who turns away from the Lord and judgment comes. Now, here's a bad king, a very bad king, who repents. And we, we are not, not expecting this. And at this point... He when he finally returns to Judah, because the Lord listens to his prayer, he lets him go back to Jerusalem. He starts everything all over again. He denies the work of his entire life and begins to do, to do the opposite of what he had done before. And he turns to the Lord with his whole heart. This is important because we know people Sometimes we might be one of those who, when we are in distress, when we 
are, um, we, when we suffer, when we experience calamities, we uh, call upon the Lord, we ask him to help, we promise all kinds of things, and when, the, when he takes away the suffering, we just continue, to, we just continue our lives. We live rebellious lives. The Lord sends COVID for two years. COVID stops. We continue our lives. Without, without taking into heart what he was speaking to us about. But Manasseh was not like that. He'd, he repented and his repentance had fruits. Because we read that he removed the idols from the temple. So he went back. First thing he did remove the idols that he had put there. Then he destroyed the statues of other gods that he worshipped. Then he restored the Lord's altar in the temple and presents sacrifices for his great sins because he recognizes that he needs the sacrifice. He needs propitiation. He needs substitutionary atonement. He needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And he commanded the people of Judah to worship Yahweh alone. Now, the text mentions that the high places remain there. So there is imperfection here too. But it's sincere and it's lasting. And this is an unexpected and amazing grace. While many good people, good people will perish. And let's be clear about this. Many good people will perish. Manasseh was saved. This wicked person is saved because salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord and is by grace. God gave repentance to the heart of Manasseh and this is the supernatural work of God. Calamities often harden people. I know you are going through the book of Revelation and in the book of Revelation there are passages where God is sending um, his cups of, of wrath on the people and they suffer, and we read, and they did not repent of their evil deeds, but cursed God. We know many people who suffer, and their hearts are not softened by suffering, not broken, they do not break their hearts, but are hardened in suffering, and they curse God. But Manasseh's heart was softened. And this is amazing. God took away everything from Manasseh so he, he can call upon the name of the Lord. And he gave him repentance. Calamities brought him close to the Lord. And perhaps, perhaps, that was the moment when they put the hook in his nostril. That was the moment when Manasseh remembered how his father reacted to the Assyrians. When Jerusalem was under siege, then Hezekiah called upon the name of the Lord. When Manasseh was taken to captivity, 
he called upon the name of the Lord. Sometimes we think that the best thing we can give our children is our perfection, but it's not. And we are all broken people. We are all broken people. The best thing we can give our children is to show them where they can go to with their brokenness. So, this is the story of Manasseh. And I would like us to um, have faith in the grace of God. God's grace is powerful. We sometimes think of some people that they are beyond redemption. Only God knows who can be, who could be beyond redemption. But those who he calls will come to him. The Lord Jesus said this very clearly. And then he called big sinners and they came to him and found rest in his presence. So this is our hope. And I, I would like uh, us to rejoice over that, that God can save big sinners. If you have relatives who turn their backs to the Lord, don't lose heart. God's grace is powerful enough to call them back. If your relatives experience calamities, distress, suffering, don't lose heart. That might be a means in the hands of the Lord to reach them. God's grace is more powerful than sin. Where sin abounds, God's grace superabounds. That's what Romans 5 says, the end of Romans 5, uh, encouraging us. And that should be our story too. When I remember how the Lord saved me, uh, I was a sinful man. I still am a sinful man, but I'm a saved man. Uh, I could not have saved myself. I could not make, make myself bow my knees. When I remember the moment when I told the Lord, I surrender, and that, that was uh, the big turning point, point in my life, uh, that was not my strength, because I had been in that same room, and I could not say it. I went into, the, into that room and came out undecided, came out empty, powerless. If you read the confessions of St. Augustine, I'm not comparing myself to Augustine, only in this respect, that God's grace saved me. But if you read Augustine's confessions, uh, and it's a little bit similar to Banyan's um, uh, grace abounding that uh, he's constantly in a limbo and he cannot make his will uh, get off the ground. It's like gravity pulling him back. My, I, I was almost there, he says. I, I, I was almost, almost there, but I fell back into myself. If it was not the grace of God, Manasseh would have finished his course uh, the same way he led it throughout those decades. But it was God's grace that saved him. So when uh, we think of ourselves, let's give thanks to the Lord for the grace that he had on us, that he pulled us out of ourselves so we can become worshipers, we can love him, we can bow our knees to him. It is very difficult for us to bow our knees, especially in an age and in cultures that celebrate self-determination. 
The worst thing that our culture says can happen to us if we cannot determine our fate. If we cannot determine ourselves, if we cannot determine our sexuality, who we are. That's the worst thing our culture says that can happen to us. But that's not the worst thing that can happen to us. The worst thing that can happen to us is if the Lord delivers us to our own desires. That's the worst thing. That's punishment. That's damnation. But let's thank God for the grace that saved us. And let's have hope for our loved ones, our relatives, our friends, our colleagues. Let's preach the gospel to them. Let's share the gospel with them in the hope that God's grace can turn the worst sinner into a saint, a worshiper. That is what the story of Manasseh tells us. And I hope it encourages you.